Trump the Warmonger versus Foreign Policy Wonks of Peace Part 1. Remember when the entire international globalist foreign policy establishment told you this whopper with one smothering voice and just how false it turned out to be? By Brian Cates. Remember when Donald J. Trump became president and by the end of his first year in office from January 2017 through January 2018, two of the supposedly biggest generational and existential threats he and the world were facing had become quickly receding memories? Of course, I'm talking about North Korea and ISIS. You'll have to stop for just a moment and think hard to recall that when Trump was running for president and after he moved his family into the White House, we were all treated to months of endless Sturm und Drang about how Trump was supposedly going to blow up the entire world. He couldn't be taken seriously as a candidate for the top executive office because he would create incredibly unstable foreign policy due to his being an arrogant, clueless, alpha male and an all-around idiot blowhard. Then, after he shocked them all by winning that election anyway, despite their loudly warning the public about what an idiot he supposedly was, they stridently yelled all the more during Trump's first year in office that he was making all the wrong moves and causing the world to be a far more dangerous place because he refused to listen to all the same globalist foreign policy experts that his predecessors had. You remember the globalist foreign policy experts, right? The same Council on Foreign Relations, Atlantic Council, Trilateral Commission-type people that former presidents had all surrounded themselves with and listened to and whose policies they implemented and what all that expert foreign policy resulted in? Yeah. Let's discuss that for a minute. Well, okay, several minutes. This column is going to be much longer than my usual. How was it that the ogreish and ignorant Trump's immediate predecessor, who the foreign establishment just loved to death and admired so much they bestowed a Nobel Peace Prize upon him before he'd even done anything, was unable to make any progress during two terms in the White House when it came to both North Korea and then the ISIS terrorist group. President Barack Hussein, I love Iran, Obama, not only pulled off an increasingly stupid act of pretending to be helpless from 2012 to 2016 in the face of ISIS, a bunch of earthbound terrorists gallivanting around Syria and Iraq in slow-moving armored convoys, he was also simultaneously pantomiming utter futility in dealing with North Korea and Kim Jong-un's increasingly unhinged nuclear threats. Obama and the entrenched foreign policy establishment convinced the international public that both of these crises were modern-day Gordian knots, that they were intractable problems with very complex issues that required a stable and educated foreign policy hand to deal with them. And Obama, being the best and the brightest, spent his eight years in the executive office impotently wringing his hands as both threats in the 
Korean Peninsula and the Middle East grew larger and larger in the public mind, thanks to endless fake news media coverage that kept the public's attention laser-focused on them as being very real existential threats. If a man anointed as a foreign policy expert who understood all the nuances involved in dealing with North Korea and ISIS could just not get anywhere and make any real progress against them, what were the chances of a simpleton like Donald Trump getting it done if the American public made the major and tragic error in judgment of handing Trump the awesome responsibility of dealing with these crises? As we all know, Obama was such an intelligent and nuanced expert in foreign policy that he ended up firing the one intelligence agency head who wouldn't parrot back to him the same happy, happy talk he wanted to hear about his fabulous Middle Eastern foreign policy. A disastrously dumb foreign policy, which ended up setting the region ablaze in a massive wave of terror and bloodshed after that Arab Spring that Obama so eagerly took credit for. Remember how that crack foreign policy establishment burbled and cooed about how awesome Obama was after he single-handedly launched that Arab Spring all by his lonesome by giving a speech in Egypt? Ever consider that one reason they endlessly talked up Obama's supposed prescient role in foreseeing or even causing the Arab Spring was that they'd already handed old Jug Ears a Nobel Peace Prize and were belatedly trying to justify having done that? Obama gave that speech in Cairo in 2009. By 2011, the Arab Spring had commenced in which Obama managed to successfully walk the tightrope of taking full credit for this emerging Arab Spring while simultaneously ensuring no real freedom or democracy made any gains in the region. At the same time, Obama was basking in the acclaim for having started the Arab Spring at the United Nations in September of 2012, his and Hillary Clinton's failed foreign policy moves in Iran, Palestine, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Syria, and most especially Egypt and Libya were already starting to bear their awful fruit. The Benghazi crisis in which 50-plus Americans were essentially abandoned by the Obama administration for hours while under a highly coordinated terrorist attack, only a seat of the pants evacuation performed on the fly and with lots of luck limited the fallout to a four American deaths, merely previewed how all of Obama's second term ended up being centered on stridently attempting to avoid any responsibility for the increasing destabilization of the Middle East. As Obama and Hillary utterly abandoned Libya in the face of the Benghazi debacle and then compounded that by handing Egypt over to the Muslim Brotherhood and both countries descended into complete chaos and destruction. The terrorist group that Obama had repeatedly and snidely dismissed as the JV team was somehow allowed to seize almost half of Libya and one-third of Iraq people were talked into accepting the idea that in a region where every country has a fully functioning air force, slow-moving convoys of black-clad, flag-waving ISIS terrorists were simply unstoppable as they also very slowly traveled down highways from city to city and town to town, committing mass executions and seizing major amounts of territory. 
Obama dithered and mumbled for four-plus years. How he couldn't get any help in the region, no organized military response from the Arab nations under direct threat from ISIS. And so the world watched in amazement as ISIS was allowed to seize a staggering amount of territory. A brutal band of road warrior-type terrorists with no air force or air cover whatsoever, completely earthbound in slow-moving trucks and cars. Along with Obama and Hillary and John Kerry, the globalist foreign policy establishment all wrung their hands together publicly for the cameras as they professed their utter and complete impotence in the face of the ISIS threat. But it didn't have to be that way. While Obama and Clinton were making all the wrong moves from 2009 to 2012, alienating key U.S. allies in the region while ignoring growing threats, Someone had been trying to get their attention and calling for them to reverse the direction they were sailing the U.S.'s foreign policy ship in. As head of the Defense Intelligence Agency, General Michael Flynn had been using everything but signal flags trying to get Obama and Clinton's attention and explain to them why the foreign policy being enacted was not only naive and wrong, but also incredibly dangerous. Trying to do that was a constant upstream swim for Flynn as he was surrounded by civilian and military and law intelligence agencies that were becoming increasingly politicized by an administration that was hell-bent on ignoring very real threats while focusing on achieving pyrrhic and illusionary victories against small or non-existent threats. Flynn finally seems to have gotten Obama's undivided attention by the spring of 2014, which is when Flynn was informed that his services as head of the Defense Intelligence Agency were no longer required and that Obama was firing him and replacing him with someone who would not be quite so problematic for the administration's direction and goals. The fatal consequences of Obama's nuanced foreign policy in the Middle East Waves of dead people in Iran, Egypt, Syria, and Libya. This will not be an exhaustive post-mortem on the abject foreign policy failures of the eight years of the Barack Obama administration. I'd need a full book-length article for that. I'm merely going to be hitting the high points while focusing on the Middle East and North Korea. The dumb shit Obama did in Cuba... Mexico, Central and South America, and in Southeast Asia will just have to be skipped for the time being. Betraying the Iran Green Revolution The most amazing thing for me as Obama was siding with the mullahs in Tehran and refusing even token rhetorical support for the Iranian people's Green Revolution was the strident and panicked way that Obama and his two secretaries of state, Hillary Clinton and then John Kerry, repeatedly insisted for the cameras they were most certainly not betraying the Iranian people while they were in process of betraying the Iranian people. Obama could only muster tepid criticism of the mullahs after they turned their vicious Republican Guard thugs loose on the Green Movement protesters, making examples such as Neda Sultan, her murder caught on camera as she was shot down in the street, just a target picked at random to send a message, we're still in charge and you need to stop protesting and go home before this happens to you. The Iran Deal Overall, 
even American interests. Obama and the foreign policy establishment hell-bent on getting the Iran deal done patiently waited until the mullahs had successfully put down the Green Movement to begin negotiating again, time and again, when Obama's rotten administration had a chance to send a strong message to Iran's leaders, they dissembled and bumbled and fumbled around in epic displays of weakness and subservience in an attempt not to offend the mullahs, even when U.S. Navy sailors were seized and held hostage. Watching the incredible lengths to which the globalist foreign policy establishment went to get that Iran deal exposed a lot of people involved in that sordid affair. Trump promptly scrapped the deal upon taking office in 2017, and of course Biden threw the doors wide open upon being installed after that stolen 2020 election and invited the entire globalist foreign policy establishment back into the White House, where they all quickly set about proudly and arrogantly attempting to reinstitute the Iran deal. Biden also sent a very strong message to Iran by snidely informing the American public on the anniversary of 9-11 that he was unlocking $6 billion in frozen Iranian assets held in South Korea as part of a ransom payment for hostages. That was a strong message, all right. I think it was a very strong message to outlaw regimes like Iran that they should really start thinking about grabbing more Americans and holding them hostage, but that's probably just me. It should be pretty clear at this point to any rational and disinterested observer that Joe Biden is hell-bent on pursuing the very same kind of foreign policies that made the Obama administration such a rolling train wreck. Anyway, that's enough highlights on Iran. On to Egypt. Bouncing Mubarak for a Muslim Brotherhood terrorist. Be honest now. How many of you even remember this asshole? Former Egyptian President Mohamed Morsi. The irony of Obama having given that speech that supposedly triggered the Arab Spring in Cairo in 2009 is not lost on any astute foreign policy observer with a long memory, and by long memory I mean one capable of recalling key international events that occurred further back than the news cycle of the last year. Few countries in the Middle East suffered as much fallout from Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton's incredibly stupid foreign policy moves than Egypt. The full extent of the massive bloodbath unleashed in Egypt by the Obama administration is currently not known, just as the full extent of the loss of life they caused in Libya is unknown, as there are no fully reliable reporting mechanisms there. People make guesstimates, but we'll never really know, because it got that bad. Obama refused to aid the Green Revolution in Iran while simultaneously managing to topple Mubarak of Egypt and actively helping to replace him with an actual member of the terrorist group, the Muslim Brotherhood. Mohammed Morsi and his Muslim Brotherhood government then proceeded to unleash a bloody wave of terror over that country that led to the first crucifixions of Christians since the first century. The terror was so over the top, it was unsustainable, and the Egyptian people turned on Morsi and the Muslim Brotherhood. Morsi's presidency lasted but a year, from June of 2012 to July of 2013, but the massive damage it inflicted on the country in its brief existence was truly amazing. 
the fallout from Obama's abandonment of Hosni Mubarak as he allowed him to be toppled, and then helping the election of Morsi to the Egyptian presidency continues to be felt in that country to this day. Thousands of Muslim Brotherhood members were sentenced to prison. Hundreds were sentenced to death, with those death sentences being upheld and some of them carried out. Death sentences were still being handed down by Egyptian courts to Muslim Brotherhood members as recently as 2021. Mubarak may not have been a nice guy in many ways, but at least he didn't unleash a wave of bloody terror on his own country as Morsi quickly did. Watching what Obama did by giving Mubarak a very public vote of no confidence and then giving him a firm shove reminded many foreign policy observers of how back in 1978 U.S. President Jimmy Carter made a similarly massive mistake in withdrawing support from the Shah of Iran because he, too, was not a nice enough guy. And so the not-nice guy ended up being replaced by somebody only about a thousand times worse, the fanatical death-to-America mullahs of Tehran. Once the horror show of the Morsi presidency was finally ended, and he and most of his goons ended up in prison, Morsi himself died in 2021 during a new trial before he could be executed. The global foreign policy establishment moved on to other exciting adventures in places like Libya and Syria. Killing Gaddafi, bungling Benghazi, abandoning Libya. While things were unfolding as they were in Egypt from 2011 to 2013, another country getting supposedly brilliant foreign policy nuance thanks to the intelligence and sophisticated international machinations of Obama and his intrepid Secretary of State Hillary Clinton was Libya. Just how bad did Obama and Clinton fuck up Libya? Their toppling Muammar Gaddafi without any real plan for what would come next led directly to the now infamous Benghazi terrorist attack, which the intrepid pair responded to by completely and totally and utterly abandoning the entire nation like a bad memory. How bad did it get in Libya after that abject abandonment by the smart elitist foreign policy wonks of the Obama administration, it got so bad, actual human slavery openly returned. Time magazine was forced to cover this like the slave markets that sprang up in Libya following Gaddafi's murder had always been there and were not springing up only post-2013 after the U.S. gave up all presence, pretense of managing the country. The globalist foreign policy establishment's one real talent is covering its own ass after a catastrophic failure like Libya. It's not publicly admitted or acknowledged by the think tank wonks or by the fake news media that pushes the approved globalist narratives that Hillary had to go after the massive embarrassments of Egypt and Libya on top of the completely bungled response at Benghazi. Yes, she was going to run for president in 2016, so she had to bail early to prepare for her long-awaited coronation. And this is endlessly repeated, so attention cannot be focused on the fact that her tenure as Secretary of State involved one massive blunder after another. After the events in Egypt and Libya, Obama and Hillary found themselves bogged down in Syria. It was as Syria was blowing up over Obama's stupid red-line gaffe that Clinton bolted for the door and was quickly replaced by John Kerry. Drawing a red line in Syria, then trying to erase it. 
Anybody recall the absurd media coverage as Obama tried to extricate himself from his red-line blunder in Syria? Fake news spent months frantically claiming Obama either hadn't said any such thing regarding the Assad regime's use of chemical weapons on its own people, or if he had, he was being misunderstood. Nuance and sophisticated readings are vitally important if these globalist experts are to continue their important work of fucking everything up. Things got so bad that, I swear I'm not making this up, old Vladimir Putin was actually presented as riding to Obama's rescue in Syria, helping a brother out. And Obama eagerly accepted the help, launching a proposal in the Western press so he could pretend this had been his strategy and hope all along. Of course, it soon turned out the Russians were there in Syria to help nobody but themselves. Regardless of what Obama may or may not have meant that day in Sweden back in September of 2013, a year later in September of 2014, U.S. troops found themselves on the ground in yet another military conflict, taking on various other ground forces in the region, including Russian mercenaries from the Wagner Group, ISIS terrorists, and several Syrian factions fighting for the Assad regime. American troops remained on the ground in Syria until President Donald Trump abruptly announced in December of 2018 that he was withdrawing them. To this day, it's not all that clear what U.S. interests American forces were representing, as they were on the ground there from September 2014 all the way through 2019. A small amount of U.S. forces are still there, even though Trump ordered a full withdrawal in December of 2018, attempts by some in Congress to remove the last remaining U.S. troops in Syria continue to be voted down. Coming in part two of this series, Obama's blunders with North Korea, and then his utter disappointment at not being able to hand the presidential baton to his former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, and how Trump quickly exposed the entire globalist foreign policy establishment in just his first year in office. <laughs>